Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.56 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the 22nd of May, 2023, and this is episode 731 of Bitcoin. And I'm apologizing to Walker and Carla for saying something pretty shitty on Noster, uh, I guess on Friday or Saturday or something like that. Um, my apologies. I just, there's, there's something about what's happening with the Bitcoin conference that I, I, the direction just seems to be going towards consensus. And I, next thing I know, I, I, I don't know what to expect. I know that they're going to finally move it from Miami to Nashville in 2024. So that should be, that should be interesting. I've always thought that conferences should at least have, at least rotate between two cities, but the some of the cringe that I saw just kind of pissed me off and I let my anger and my ego get ahead of me and I was not humble and I said something hurtful to both Walker and Carla and I apologize. They didn't deserve it. They're good people. It's just, you know, at this point I, I look at the conference and I just it's like watching Udi, Udi Wertheimer say that he single-handedly brought down Bitcoin. I mean, this is the kind of, this is the kind of direction that I start seeing things go in and I get, yeah, it raises the hackles on the back of my neck. But again, Walker and Carly didn't deserve any of that. So I apologize. It is Bitcoin pizza day. And for anybody who's new to the space and you're trying to figure this one out, here we go with Gunit Quar, Cointelegraph.com. When pizza became the unsung hero of Bitcoin's history, a cheesy celebration. There are key events in the fascinating world of cryptocurrencies that have shaped the trajectory of adoption. One such occasion is commemorated annually as Bitcoin Pizza Day, a commemoration of a seemingly unremarkable transaction that had a profound effect on the development of Bitcoin. So, on Bitcoin Pizza Day, let's indulge in a cheesy celebration. Let's remember the unsung hero that bought Bitcoin, sorry, brought Bitcoin into the real world a simple slice of pizza that captured the imagination of a community and played a part in the remarkable journey of Bitcoin. A historic event took place on May the 22nd, 2010. A remarkable event unfolded in the early days of Bitcoin when the idea of digital currencies was still in its infancy. A fervent Bitcoin supporter, Laszlo Hanix, I, I'm not pronouncing his name correctly, but it's H-A-N-Y-E-C-Z. Laszlo requested a pizza on the internet forum and offered a mind-blowing 10,000 BTC as payment. It was a lighthearted request meant to demonstrate Bitcoin's potential as a medium of exchange. What happened next would become legendary. 
Laszlo received two pizzas at his doorstep after pizza restaurant chain Papa John's accepted his offer. Offer. Uh, they're getting it wrong already. I'll, I'll get into that. A pizza slice emerged at that precise time as the unsung Bitcoin hero. Little did he know that this simple request would become an iconic moment forever commemorated as Bitcoin Pizza Day. This transaction and straightforward exchange highlighted a significant turning point in the evolution of digital currency. Bitcoin did not have much value at the time. It was an experiment and idea supported by a small group of tech enthusiasts. However, when Bitcoin became more well-known and valuable in the wider world, the significance of the pizza transaction became more clear. As a whimsical celebration, Bitcoin Pizza Day honors the honors Bitcoin's development from its humble beginnings to the global phenomenon that it is today. It serves as a reminder that even seemingly insignificant, unimportant transactions can have far-reaching effects and leave a permanent imprint on history. Beyond its symbolic meaning, Bitcoin Pizza Day embodies the communal spirit of the cryptocurrency community. This celebration highlights the innovative and socially conscious nature of the Bitcoin industry. It emphasizes the relationships and shared experiences created around a cheesy treat that unintentionally played a significant role in the emergence of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. So they got it wrong. Papa John's Pizza did not accept Bitcoin directly for the purchase of the two pizzas that were in question. All right, Papa John's, it was a, they were Papa John's pizzas and Papa John's did deliver those, but they had nothing to do with that transaction directly, only indirectly. And here's the way that that happened. Laszlo found somebody else, another human being that did not work for Papa John's on the internet forums for Bitcoin and said, I, I, I've got all this Bitcoin because Laszlo, if, in, in case you did not know, was the creator of GPU mining, which was part of the, big, the uh, Bitcoin mining history. Nobody uses GPU mining anymore for mining Bitcoin. It's, it doesn't have enough horsepower. We went to ASICs. But back in the day, Laszlo was the guy that figured out how to reconfigure a GPU graphic processing unit in order to mine Bitcoin. And that was the way that took it from the CPU mining days into the GPU mining days. He mined a lot of Bitcoin because this is back in the day, man. This is like 2010. Right. So he's mining a shit ton of Bitcoin. He finds another guy on the Internet and he says, look, I need somebody to take 10,000 Bitcoin. You order me two Papa John pizzas and send it to this address and have it delivered. So that's what happened. So Laszlo gives this guy 10,000 Bitcoin. They do the transaction. The guy then calls Papa John's, pays for the pizzas in his own fiat currency and then Laszlo gets the pizzas delivered at his house. And I think Laszlo lives somewhere in Florida or something like that. But a lot of people look at this event as Laszlo was stupid. Laszlo was not stupid. I've said this, you know, I, I talked about this last pizza day. I will continue to talk about it every pizza day because it's an important event, but not for a lot of people, uh, not for a lot of reasons that people think. The reason that I think it's important is that it was the eh, one of the it was one of the two or three very first Bitcoin transactions. Some people argue that the purchase of a pair of alpaca socks was the first. 
I don't really know, but I remember that actually being the first one in either event. It doesn't really matter. <clears throat> Most people cringe when they think of somebody paying 10,000 Bitcoin for pizzas. Do the math. I'm not going to do it for you. 10,000 times whatever the price is, 26,800, something like that. Do the math and figure out how expensive those pizzas are. Back in the day, that was the f one of the first times that people were able to assign a value in the real world to this magic internet money that we started mining, okay? That's why it's important. It was the first real it was one of the first real connections between Bitcoin and the real world forcing or or at least causing to occur actions between groups or groups of individuals or individuals themselves. In this case, individuals themselves because it was just a trade. All right? That's why it's important. No. Papa John's did not take Bitcoin for those pizzas. That's wrong, but it's still an important event anyway. So we celebrate Laszlo for having, you know, the wherewithal to kind of, you know, help kick off something that will become eventually a Bitcoin circular economy, which I definitely want to see sooner rather than later. Now, Bitcoin Magazine, Darren Feinstein is writing this one, decoding Bitcoin's transaction surge, the emergence of history's greatest accounting innovation. The recent surge in transaction volume on the Bitcoin network has sparked conversation and debate about heightened transaction fees and Bitcoin's overall goals and purpose. This has resulted in questions regarding the network's future and its ability to handle the increasing demand. In response to those questions, it can be helpful to consider the intricacies of Bitcoin's transaction volume through an accounting lens as the Bitcoin network at its foundation is an accounting ledger with its data written to a public chain and recorded forever. Through this lens, we'll delve into why Bitcoin's transaction volume matters, how often such surges will occur, and whether or not this growth is sustainable. As an accounting ledger, Bitcoin represents the first true accounting innovation in more than 700 years, marking a transition from the legacy, stakeholder-controlled, private, double-entry accounting systems to a public, triple-entry system. Triple entry simply means that two-party transactions, debit and credit, are written to a public immutable ledger, the third entry. Public means that the ledger is accessible at any time by anyone on the Bitcoin network. The accounting innovation here is simply the removal of stakeholders, or humans, in exchange for machines, like servers and nodes, that run difficulty-adjusted proof-of-work. Bitcoin uses proof of work to substantiate the entries instead of relying on stakeholders who may be biased or incentivized to commit fraud or manipulate the ledgers. This means that the miners and nodes control the network in an unbiased, free from manipulation environment, not humans. In contrast, all legacy accounting technologies relied on trusted third parties known as the stakeholders. The fatal problem with the stakeholder controlled system is that humans are flawed and the ledgers are subject to human error, fraud, censorship, and manipulation until Bitcoin. Every government, every bank, and every corporation on earth has used private double entry accounting systems controlled 100% by stakeholders. This means that the stakeholders can alter the books and records of all of these legacy systems in a secret away from the public eye. In order to catch fraud, corruption, or even error, the entire stakeholder controlled system 
would need to be audited. This process is time-consuming, complicated, and cumbersome. And like all legacy systems, the audits are conducted by humans, further subjecting the audit system to fraud, corruption, and error. Bitcoin solves this in three ways. One, by turning private ledgers into public ledgers. Two, by removing stakeholder control and using difficulty-adjusted proof-of-work to record transactions. Three, by eliminating the need for a human audit as the network self-audits the time chain every block. Altogether, this creates the first unalterable ledger in human history. Accounting can be simply viewed as verifying the truth of the data involved. The role of accounting is to ensure that the data you are being shown is true. And accounting has never been more important in society than it is today, as truth is under constant attack in every arena. All systems rely on accounting, and the massive amount of available information makes discerning the truth difficult. Truth is the most important commodity on the planet. How do you record the truth, aggregate the truth, and then disseminate the truth if all the records are corruptible by humans? Because the Bitcoin ledger is public, self-auditing, and immutable, it cannot be corrupted or altered by any human. Never before, ever, in the history of record-keeping, could you rely on a ledger to be 100% truthful until the invention of Bitcoin. If you were a member of a legacy stakeholder-dominated business that relies on legacy accounting, and you have been historically able to manipulate the truth via control of the ledgers, a Bitcoin ledger is fatal. In terms of who controls the information on ledgers, at the top of the food chain are totalitarian governments that want to control the truth. Bitcoin disseminates these systems as the government, as key stakeholders, no longer has control of the information slash data. That is why Bitcoin is often referred to as a Trojan horse. On its face, it's presented as a technology based on money, but diving deeper, Bitcoin represents a new accounting technology that will provide increased freedom to the people within every nation's borders. When you give people immutable data that cannot be seized, you give them freedom in the form of property rights, sound money, truth, control, and much more. The somewhat abbreviated way of explaining the why motivating people to choose Bitcoin to transact on is that the underlying ledger controlling the data is the best ledger system ever invented, free from fraud, control, and manipulation, and providing freedom to those who use it. Simply put, if you value the data you wish to record, you are incentivized to choose the only ledger in human history that will record it for eternity without being subject to human manipulation. If you believe that an immutable, unalterable ledger is superior to legacy, alterable stakeholder ledgers, <clears throat> intuition suggests that all data will eventually be recorded on the Bitcoin network, from wills and trusts, to corporate data, to climate data, to vaccine data, title ownership data, so on and so forth. The list of possibilities is endless. All businesses, governments, and banks rely on ledgers. Nearly all industries have made groundbreaking discoveries and inventions since their inception, except for accounting. After 700 years, triple entry systems have just now been invented, and legacy stakeholder hesitance to accept an analog system moving to a digital unalterable system should be questioned. Ordinals, oh lord, ordinals and NFTs are important to some people. 
The beauty of a free system is that everyone has the option to pursue what has value to them. If you believe they have zero value, you do not have to engage with them. But Bitcoin as a free market will not censor certain transactions because, because others do not value them. The network will always allow for innovation and free choice. Those who want to pay the appropriate fee can record ordinals or NFT transactions on the Bitcoin network. The Bitcoin mempool in the future will always have a base layer of transactions waiting for the fees to drop low enough to be written on chain. Since all data will want to be recorded on this network, this will not be the first nor the last time there is a wait to record your transaction. For smaller transactions, there are layer two solutions such as the Lightning Network that live on top of Bitcoin and can be used immediately. Ordinals and NFTs all might go away in the future and the transaction volume might wane, but eventually they'll be replaced by other projects that similarly want to utilize this ledger. The cycle will repeat no matter what the product or data is. Since the Bitcoin innovation is the removal of the requirement to trust the stakeholders. Anyone who is advocating to censor the Bitcoin network's content is inherently anti-Bitcoin or does not understand Bitcoin. Those who seek to exploit control and power over the Bitcoin network are the exact problem that Bitcoin solves for. As the world realizes that the only way to preserve truth is on the Bitcoin network, the traffic will increase. This increased traffic creates a robust atmosphere for entrepreneurs to build on top of the Bitcoin network and a variety of products and services will emerge that aggregate content and write to the Bitcoin base layer. Bitcoin fear, uncertainty and doubt or FUD is spread by those who are challenged or fear this technology. Understanding this network is no small task. It takes thousands of hours. Anyone who says they understand Bitcoin after cursory examination is lying or ignorant. Similarly, transaction fee FUD is generated by people arguing both sides, that there are both too few transactions to support the network as well as too many transactions to support the network. The truth is that the network is working as intended and a full mempool that requires free market discovery to price transactions is unavoidable and thus intended. Accounting is the operating system that runs the world. All systems and information need to be honestly recorded, analyzed, and then truthfully distributed in order to make sense of the data. Historically, ledgers have been protected by physical human violence, which means whoever has the monopoly on violence, also known as governments, can alter the records and or its distribution. Recording truth on the Bitcoin ledger is the only way to record data that does not rely on human violence to protect or disseminate it for the first time in history. All right. So there's the one from Darren Feinstein. And, you know, I know most of y'all don't like ordinals. I, I'm not a fan by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm also, what I'll tell you what, I, I like ordinals better than, than the following. Hard forking or even soft forking Bitcoin to get rid of the ability for people to make a certain subset of transactions because other people don't like them that that is beyond slippery slope that's taking one foot off the cliff and then following by your other foot and then like wiley coyote you're done you're done you i i hate to say it but you got to protect ordinals i because it's it's just a transaction you can hate them like some people love the first amendment and hate the Second Amendment. 
and they will do anything in their power to get rid of the first or the second amendment not understanding the damage it does to the rest of the bill of rights as well as the contract to the united states citizenry that is the constitution of the united states that document would never have been signed had it not been for the installation of the bill of rights that was a thing they were like hey we're going to get together we're going to ratify this constitution and then all the people that were asked to sign said no we're not signing this shit until you guarantee these 10 basic rights and that's where the bill of rights came from well now we've got people that want to well you know we don't really need privacy you know the fifth amendment uh we really don't uh well that's fifth amendment is not being able to incriminate yourself i think it's the fourth amendment that allows you to be secure in your papers and your possessions you know we don't really need that you know and then there's other people that are like wait you know you don't need a gun you know, you're, you're, so the guns are only for hunting. Well, that's not true. They're for self-defense, but they're also for offense. It just depends. It's a tool like anything else. Well, in this particular case, a type of transaction that is a valid transaction for the Bitcoin base layer should not be infringed. I don't like ordinals. I never will like ordinals or, well, actually the ordinals as a protocol and the inscriptions and the, and the BRC 20s that, that fall out of it. And there will be more, there will be more that do that. So if you're going to fight this, if you're going to fight ordinals, then you have to do it with valid transactions. It's the only weaponry that Bitcoin understands. Anything else at the social layer or I'm displeased because of X, Y, and Z. Bitcoin doesn't see that. It can't. It doesn't have any, there's no mechanism to inject Bitcoin with the social layer except for what? Hard forking. And that's why it should be, no, 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 no. Hard forking or any kind, some kind of soft fork that somehow or another removes taproot that makes ordinals possible. We really should stop that. Now, I not the progenitor of all that is that's you know that should be done but i that's my honest opinion you don't have to like ordinals but you honestly probably need to defend all manner of transactions so that the transactions that you do want to go through are able to go through unless you're this following dude who's getting divorced arjit sarkar coin telegraph Wife finds husband's Bitcoin stash amid divorce proceedings. <laughs> Ooh, be careful. The divorce proceedings of a New York couple took a turn after a forensic accountant helped track down the husband's 12 Bitcoin stash, which he intended to hide from his wife. The couple in question were married for 10 years, but the man's wife suspected that her husband did not reveal all his assets, which would get split between the two following the divorce. The woman, addressed pseudonymously as Sarita, revealed to CNBC that her husband was earning $3 million annually, which was not reflective of his declared assets. Sarita appointed a forensic accountant who eventually found that her husband failed to declare 12 BTC, worth roughly half a million dollars, stored in an undisclosed crypto wallet. Having no clue about the Bitcoin investment, she stated, quote, it was never even a thought in my mind because it's not like we were discussing it or making investments together. It was definitely a shock, end quote. As a result, the woman's husband will have to part ways with some of his BTC holdings. Tracking crypto investments is easier than its fiat counter counterparts considering that blockchain technology preserves all transactions and does not allow external factors to modify or delete entries. 
Check out Cointel, uh, yeah, check out this other article, blah, blah, blah. Contrastingly, one of the latest crypto innovations, the metaverse has become a popular place for couples worldwide to tie the knot. I don't even know why they're going into that at the end of this article. I'm very confused about that. Whatever, I'm just going to stop right there because that has nothing to do with this. So <clears throat> yes, they can track that you bought it. They can track what wallet you went into, what, what it went into. Where's the seed phrase? What are they going to, I mean, look, I'm not, I'm not all about keeping, you know, if, if, if you were out horning around on your wife with some, you know, other woman or something like that, or, or beating her, or you, she's got a very, very good reason to get rid of your ass. Yeah. You probably, you shouldn't be hiding that stuff. But like, if you get into like a gold digging situation, you got married and somehow or another, it became very clear that the other party to that marriage was not interested in you as a person, but was interested in your assets. Fuck him. I lost it in a boating accident. And honestly, it is, it's still yet to be seen what happens when somebody will just say, I don't know how I can help you. I, I don't have the passphrase. I just, I don't have access to that wallet. What happens? We have yet to actually see that occur. So one of these days we will though. I guarantee it. We will. Uh, Zoltan Passar, who just left Credit Suisse, addresses issues facing the Federal Reserve and the dollar at Bitcoin 2023. Bitcoin Magazine, Peter Chihuahua is writing this one. <clears throat> Zoltan Passar, who until recently worked as the managing director of investment bank Credit Suisse, offered his insight into financial markets and the issues that are the weakening dollar's dominance around the world. In his role at Credit Suisse, Posar's insights into the ins and outs of the legacy financial system and market dynamics was highly sought after. His recent departure from the bank came shortly after it was purchased by UBS back in March as an attempt to keep it from collapsing amid ex existential turmoil for banks around the world. On stage at Bitcoin 2023, Passar addressed how U.S. banks have been impacted. Quote, this is basically an episode where the large banks are largely insulated from the problems. It's basically lessons in not being able to run interest rate risk, not knowing how to make a loan that will be a, well, be weathering a rise, rising interest rate storm, end quote. He described the Federal Reserve's response to these banking failures as only addressing half of the problem, quote, I think it's more like foaming the runway for any of the large banks that might be having problems down the road, end quote. Passar was interviewed on stage by BitMEX co-founder Arthur Hayes, who pressed him on whether he owns any Bitcoin, quote, I don't own any, he, he responded, I am observing it. I don't like to dabble in, in things that I don't understand well. Well, then why are you at Bitcoin 2023, dude? Posar outlined his pessimism that Bitcoin could ever really serve as money as his historical research has shown him that money has to have a direct link to a government to endure. As a fundamentally decentralized peer-to-peer -peer network, Bitcoin could not support money that fits his definition, quote, the one thing that I will say about Bitcoin is that money, if you will, is something that is purely public or a public-private partnership. When I look at Bitcoin, it's a purely private initiative. It's clearly lacking a state link. But then again, things are evolving. There are a number of countries that have adopted Bitcoin as a legal tender, so things are definitely in flux there." End quote. In his writing, Posar has 
underscored the evolving role that Bitcoin is playing around the world as institution-backed money like the U.S. dollar becomes weaker. At Bitcoin 2023, he listed several global market trends, including the rising economic power of China that are threatening its role as the global reserve currency. Quote, there's a number of changes happening that I think we need to keep an eye on because it's all going to be at the expense of the dollar's share of commodity finance, trade finance, share of reserve assets, and so on. So there he's right. What I don't understand is why this dude's at Bitcoin 2023 and he doesn't understand Bitcoin at all. And it's not Bitcoin Magazine making the invitation to him. It's Posar accepting the invitation. Why would you accept an invitation to a conference that is about a specific thing and you don't know enough about that thing to either own it or completely denounce it? Seems a little odd. Maybe he's fixing to run for office. Who knows? U.S. debt deal could weigh on Bitcoin price, some say. Uh, This is Coindesk written by Amkar Godbol. The Treasury's efforts to build back cash balances after resolution of the debt limit situation might suck out dollar liquidity from the system, pushing Bitcoin lower. So be aware. As the deadlock in negotiations to raise the U.S. government's $31.4 trillion debt limit keeps markets tentative, some analysts have gone against consensus, warning that a potential deal may bring pain to the crypto market. The U.S. reached its statutory debt limit of $31.4 trillion on January the 19th, pressing the Treasury to implement extraordinary measures and run down its Treasury general account balance to keep the government functioning. That ensured assets like Bitcoin, which are sensitive to swings in U.S. dollar liquidity, remained bid amid fears of government default and the Federal Reserve's continued rate hikes. The TGA balance has declined from roughly $500 billion at the start of February to $68 billion last week, according to Micro or Macro Micro. Per Goldman Sachs, Treasury's cash balance will likely dip to the minimum required $30 billion in early June, which means a debt deal needs to be reached by around that point to avoid what some believe could be a catastrophic default. It also means that once the debt limit is raised, the Treasury will look to build back its cash balance by issuing government bonds. That may suck out liquidity from the system and put upward pressure on bond yields as increased issuance would tend to push prices down and lift yields. Bitcoin is known to move in the opposite direction of bond yield. Thus, while a potential deal might eliminate major economic uncertainty, assets like Bitcoin that have no linkages to the real economy and are heavily dependent on fiat liquidity could in fact suffer, quote, the issuance of debt on top, sorry, the issuance of debt to top up coffers will have the opposite effect. Money will move out of cash and risk assets into United States government bonds, especially as yields on these inter- instruments rise to offset the increase in supply. Noel Ockeson, former head of research at CoinDesk and Genesis Trading and the author of Crypto is Macro Now newsletter, said in the weekend edition of her aforementioned newsletter quote this could be bad for bitcoin and gold which in theory fall in price when yields are rising high government or high yield environments tend to not be great for assets that yield nothing she added quote what's more uh, the issuance of more u.s government debt would increase public spending which would be good for the economy further delaying the likelihood of rate cuts 
market consensus so far has been that a default would lead to panic selling and a global dash for cash, similar to the one seen during the coronavirus-induced crash of March 2020 when Bitcoin tanked by over 50%. Meanwhile, a debt deal is expected to fuel risk-on action. Per some observers, Bitcoin drew haven bids during the March banking crisis, although other rate-sensitive assets like tech stocks also performed well as traders priced in an early Fed pivot toward rate cuts. In other words, Bitcoin remains a largely liquidity-sensitive risk asset. Taking issue with that outlook is Satyakam Gautam, rates trader at India-based ICICI Bank, who expects the Treasury will likely issue $700 billion of bonds in the next couple of months, leading to massive risk aversion. Quote, what it implies is a lack of USD funding in the intermediate short-term post the successful ceiling negotiation, if any. Corporate bond markets, as well as private credit, will find it hard to roll over existing maturities, and this will lead to a real crash in either commercial real estate asset funding or plain junk bond issuers. This might be the real deal crash which the U.S. rate markets have been exclusively or elusively looking for, Gautam said in a LinkedIn post, quote, there might be then a secular fall in long-end rates as well as massive steepening in United States rates. This should augur well for risk haven, Forex like the JPY, CHF, Gautam added. Who knows what the hell's going to happen? Who knows? Nobody knows. It looks to me like everything is just creeping along sideways, whether it's legacy markets, Bitcoin, it doesn't matter. And if a deal is reached, nobody really knows what the hell that even means. Because if a deal is reached to raise the debt limit again, what is that effectively doing? Kicking the can down an ever-shortening road. I suspect that they'll do it. What will be the immediate effect on Bitcoin price? I don't know. One Satoshi is one Satoshi. Buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin. I don't know what the hell else to tell you, but we got numbers to run. West Texas Intermediate Crude is trading up just over 1% to $72.27 a barrel. Brent North Sea likewise just over a point rise to 76.35. Natural gas is down 7.7% to $2.38. Gasoline is up 3.39% to $2.66 a gallon. Gold is being pressed down 0.17% to the downside, $1,978. Silver is down 0.85%. Platinum is up 0.17. Copper is down 1.39 and palladium taking it on the chin 2.25% to the downside. Ag looks like it's fully mixed. Biggest winner today is corn. Nope, I take that back. Soybean, 2.62% to the upside. Biggest loser today is going to be cotton, 1.8% to the downside. I got live cattle down 0.43%. Lean hogs down 087 Feeder cattle down a quarter of a point. The Dow is down a third of a point, and the rest of the field is green, but not by much. S&P is up 0.06%, NASDAQ up a quarter, and the S&P mini is up by, oh, half a point. That's actually a pretty decent move for today. $26,856.33. That's the price of Bitcoin after 
a measly 174 BT, 74,000 BTC have been sent around the horn in the last 24 hours with an average transaction value of 0.3 BTC and a median transaction value of Block times are low, 9 minutes and 14 seconds. Uh, We've got 0.45 BTC taken on a per block basis for fees and 70 BTC taken overall in the last 24 hours in fees. With a 5.25% increase in hash rate, we are at 367.8 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin 7.3%. United States pennies. Bitcoin has a $519.8 billion market capitalization, which is holding at 3.91% of gold's entire market cap. Uh, There are 19,380,549.5 BTC in circulation at this time. 5,323.7 of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at $142.8 million, being run uh, or sporting 71,521 payment channels that we know about. 63.5% of all that's being run over Tor. And it looks like we have a 0.0% estimated difficulty change coming May the 31st. Mempool, as usual, is packed and stacked. This time, we're looking square in the face of 218 blocks carrying 307,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear. However, fees, not terrible. I mean, they're high, but they they ain't so high that it's ugly. Low priority transactions getting 35 cents uh, Satoshis per V-byte. High priority is 47 Satoshis per V-byte. Anything under 9.71 Satoshis per V-byte is being purged out of all of the default memory, or well, mempools. And I am number nine on the fountain charts. Thank you, everybody who's been helping to keep me in the top 10. Speaking of Fatoshi, 6102 boost. There are two types of people those skeptical about AI and those who have used it. Recent developments are blowing my mind. Yeah, I had, I had, God, I hate to admit it because I'm just like inscriptions and ordinals. I'm not a fan of AI, but um, it's not going away. And you, you have two choices. You can put your head in the sand and, and like in your, your fingers and ears and go, la, 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 la. It's never, you know, I don't want to know about it. I don't care. It's going to kick your ass because your ass is still on the beach. Your head's in the sand, but your ass is up. And here comes AI and it's like, oh, look, somebody's buried their head in the sand. I think I'll kick them in the ass. That's what's going to happen to the people that do not figure this out. And there's a lot of people that are just, they're just going to bury their heads in the sand and they're going to get launched. Doesn't mean you got to love it, but you should probably know something about it. Nick underscore dose with a short row of ducks. 2222 says cheers. Saints and sats with 2000 Satoshi says sickening how groups like the FATF have so much influence on countries where they shouldn't have any. But the silver lining of Biden's war on Russia is that the financial stranglehold of groups like this on countries around the world is starting to loosen. Maybe Pakistan will be able to get some breathing room. Uh, not until they get their FATF appointed person out of there. And is he FATF appointed? No, no. Can the FATF corrupt somebody as a human? Absolutely. Would they do it? Absolutely they would do it. I mean, pfft, humans are human and humans are gonna human. And that's one of the pieces that we read at the top of the show. The, the Bitcoin ledger as triple entry, version of truth. 
We've never had it before. It will change everything. It already is changing everything, but it's going to change even more and it's going to continue to change things until well after I have stopped fogging mirrors and worm food, right? It's just going to do it. So fear not, one of these days we'll be able to literally kick, you know, kick corruption in the crotch, but it'll never go away. But maybe, maybe we can do, you know, at least lessen the blow here. Uh, K Vart Beerborn huh, has 250 sat says a tribute to the giant, to the giant dragonflies. <laughs> Everything Satoshi, my friend out of Africa says a hundred with a hundred sat says the central bank of Nigeria is a wicked institution. And I can tell you that categorically that the Enira has been dead on arrival. We just need to get rid of Binance and other shitcoin casinos in Africa and we're good. Thank God for developments like Strike, Going Global, uh, uh, oh, (laughs) hashtag central banking sucks. And he's got a reply to that. Uh, Strike has identity verification, KYC. Strike delivers their send globally payments through exchanges on the recipient's end. And some of those exchanges are also requiring identity and verification for at least some of the recipients of those payments. Uh, Bitnob, who delivers to a half dozen countries plus the CFA countries, is a good example. So Strike doesn't bring all that much benefit over Binance other than Strike not being a shitcoin casino like Binance is, perhaps. But, you know, and then everything Satoshi comes back and says Bitnob is good as well. All right. So, you know, boots on the ground report out of Africa and the E-Naira uh, that is just not being adopted. And I've read several stories about, you know, sub 1% usage, and that's probably the government paying citizenry to use it to make it look like people are adopting it, but it's not. It's nobody wants this shit. It's bad. It's, as far as I can tell, it's bad enough in Nigeria as it is. I don't think the people trust their government very much. <laughs> Go figure. I don't think that they're going to adopt this shit at all. Not, not one bit. All right. That's the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news you can use starting this one off with Biden's 30% tax on Bitcoin miners isn't going to happen. According to Cynthia Lummis, Pedro Salimano from Decrypt has more. The 30% excise tax that President Joe Biden has proposed for Bitcoin miners? Eh, that isn't going to happen, said Senator Cynthia Lummis. She was speaking to Chamber of Digital Commerce founder and CEO Perry Ann Boring during a fireside chat at a unit you guessed at the Bitcoin 2023 conference in Miami. Boring had just brought up the possible tax and how it might affect not only Bitcoin mining, but also have unintended consequences for the country's national security. Lummis went on to say that miners can mine anywhere, adding that opportunities in this sector exist all over the world. She said, however, that allowing Bitcoin mining to proliferate in the states is not only a matter of national security, but also an issue of energy security. Touting that Wyoming has large mining oil and gas industries alongside significant amounts of solar and wind production, Lummis told the crowd at the conference that Bitcoin miners are well positioned to make use of the state's excess energy. Quote, Bitcoin is cleaning up the environment, she said. According to the Wyoming senator, however, it hasn't been an easy mission to convince lawmakers about the benefits of Bitcoin mining. Quote, one of the things 
that is holding back our ability in Congress to legislate in this area is the fear that Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are being used for criminal activities, Lummis said, adding that there are also issues at the state level. One example, she said, is Texas' decision to cap miners' ability to earn energy credit. These remarks come amid a Biden administration report at the start of May on the effects of imposing a 30% excise tax on cryptocurrency mining operations in the United States. It concluded that the tax would be in the best interest of American communities and the environment. The so-called Bitcoin senator remarked that the current infrastructure bill, which includes the digital asset mining tax, defines brokers in such a way that includes miners. If approved, that would require miners to send tax data to the IRS. That's left the industry feeling like there's a complete disconnect between it and U.S. lawmakers, said the senator on Friday. The panel ended with Lummis urging Bitcoiners to participate in groups that advocate for the world's largest cryptocurrency as part of the U.S. economy, adding that they should contact their representatives. Uh, yeah, good luck with that. I, I don't think it's going to happen either, but this continuous call, siren song to call for industry leaders and whatnot to contact their representatives... I, I don't think that works anymore. I think there was a time in which it did, but your voice alongside of people with billions of dollars of lobbying capital, I don't know, man. This is what's really gotten us into the problem that we're in, uh, well, the problems, plural, that we're in in the first damn place. So I, again, I don't think the tax is going to happen, but as the far as the contacting your representative, I'd hold your breath. If you do want to contact somebody, to lend your voice, the Bitcoin Policy Institute. Contact the Bitcoin Policy Institute and say, hey, I'm a concerned miner. What the hell can I do? I guarantee you they've got some kind of solution. You can add your voice there, All right? Because at that point, this is the only, and technically they're a lobbying group. And I don't like lobby groups, but what are you going to do? They, they exist. You might as well, I guess, hold the hand of the one that, that doesn't bite it. So yeah, if you, if you want to do that, if you really want to, you know, make your voice heard, I would first contact the Bitcoin Policy Institute. Uh, you can just Google that and find out where to, where to call. <clears throat> Gemini says the uh, Genesis parent DCG has missed a 300, no, a $630 million payment. Yeah, Barry Silbert owes a billion dollars and he's, wow, holy shit. This is, DCG needs to go down. It really does. It's the last domino to fall in my opinion. Digital, oh, by the way, this is written by Coindesk, uh, Sam Reynolds. Digital currency group missed a $630 million payment owed to Genesis. That's the Winklevi outfit last week. Gemini CEO Cameron Winklevoss has threatened to sue DCG CEO Barry Silbert and DCG over the repayment of a $900 million loan after Genesis, a DCG entity, filed for Chapter 11 amid allegations of mixing funds and ongoing disputes about loan repayments. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has accused both firms of selling unregistered securities through their EARN program. Both Genesis and Coindesk are owned by DCG. While Gemini and DCG are in discussions, if no deal is reached, Gemini and other parties are proposing an amended organization or reorganization plan with Genesis that doesn't require DCG approval, Gemini said in an update on its site. 
Quote, consideration will be based in part on whether the parties believe DCG will engage in good faith negotiations on a consensual deal, Jim and I wrote. Quote, DCG continues to be engaged with the various stakeholders in the Genesis Capital restructuring process pursuant to the 30-day mediation period entered into by all parties on May the 1st, a DCG spokesperson told Coindesk. All right. Gemini co-founder Cameron Winklevoss has publicly accused Barry Silbert of engaging in bad faith stall tactics. Meanwhile, Gemini is preparing to file a claim seeking the return of over $1.1 billion in digital assets from Genesis for its over 200,000 earned users. Late last week, lawyers for Genesis filed a request to the bankruptcy court of the Southern District of New York for an extension of their time allowed to file a Chapter 11 plan and solicit acceptances. If the court approves that, they will have until August the 27th to file a plan and until October the 26th for Gemini to accept it. According to a January court filing, Genesis owes over $3.5 billion, with a B, to its top creditors or top 50 creditors, including Gemini, Cumberland, Marana, Moon Alpha, uh, Van X New Finance Income Fund. Oh, well, isn't that just joyful? So, yeah, I think, I think they're getting their, uh, their road is becoming very much short for DCG, which is going to include the Grayscale family of trust, and that includes the Grayscale Bitcoin trust, as well as the Grayscale Ethereum trust, and all the other shitcoin trusts that they have. I think that that's probably, you know, I could, here's what I could see happening, honestly. I could see, um, hold on for one second, because I thought I had something. Oh, I, I missed Nick underscore uh, dose uh, boost. I'll, I'll get to that here in a second. Um, I think that what could happen is that we see a confluence of two events where DCG just fails utterly. I mean, the whole thing is it just ends up being just as big a mess or slightly, you know, maybe like a little bit less of a mess than FTX along with this whole debt ceiling thing. And yeah, we can see some significant downward pressure on the price of Bitcoin. But again, I don't know what to tell you. One Satoshi is one Satoshi. One Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. Buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin. But when, when everybody and their dog always compares Bitcoin's price to how much USD and how much things, when we price things, we're pricing them still in USD, it's like... And that seems to be a psychological barrier for so many people to be able to cross is having a new pricing structure through using Bitcoin to price gallon of gas, a loaf of bread, you know, how many Satoshis does rent cost, you know, that kind of thing. And we, we just, it's, it's so hard to go over that bridge. It's like converting, like if you think in inches, thinking in centimeters is hard. When you think in gallons and you have for your entire life, visualizing a liter is difficult. Same for kilogram versus a pound. It's the, it, this, this weights and measures is more important to human psychology than I think we give it credit for. And I think that that's one of the main stopping points of being able to think as Bitcoin as money because first we think of Bitcoin as price and that the price represents the money 
and then what we can do with that money to purchase goods and services. And I think that that is not helping us. Uh, Nick underscore dose with 369 sat says, I asked Shishi21M how many pieces you could cut the $20 comp free route into. He says it could be divided into anywhere between 10 and 30 pieces. We'll be ordering some balking for soon. So Nick Dose is going to have the genetics that I helped get over to um, to my friend Shishi21M. If you want the magic plant, you know where to go. It's at Shishi21M on Noster at shishi21m at protonmail.com, but that's the slower route to take. I highly recommend getting yourself both the Bocking 14 and the Bocking 4. Uh, might as well. You might, you might as well help uh, keep that, those strains alive because they're very important because they're sterile, so they don't spread. And they're both highly effective in both treatments, you know, treatments of ailments like rheumatoid arthritis, sprained ankles, even broken bones, lacerations that are not too damn deep because it will heal over and trap bacteria in the place that it didn't heal. That's how fast it heals. It's good for animal fodder. It's good for mulch. You can make fertilizer out of it. You start compost with it. There's nothing this plant can't do except fly an airplane, but it doesn't need to, right? Uh, let's say, let's do... Let's do this one. Strike. Uh, Strike expands global reach, introduces USDT support, and unveils enhanced app at Bitcoin 2023 conference, BTC Casey Bitcoin Magazine. At the conference, global Bitcoin payment service Strike announced that their service is now available in 65 more countries spread across, across six continents, this coincides with the introduction of the ability to receive funds in U.S. dollar equivalents, namely USDT, otherwise known as Tether. In addition, the app received a major facelift and overhaul that has made the UI cleaner, the user experience friendlier, and also includes a new logo. Yay! Many of the countries that have been requested by users of Bitcoin Twitter are now able to instantly send and receive money utilizing the Lightning Network. In an interview with Strike's VP of Product, Manuela Rios, she explained that the app now has an effective reach of 3 billion people. Quote, with Send Globally, the value proposition is that you send dollars and receive it as a local currency directly in a bank account on the other side. This one's different. What we found through user research that people on the other side in jurisdictions with weak currency would say, hey, this experience is amazing, but can I have a dollar equivalent? In regard to purchasing Bitcoin, Rio said that globally, you don't see a seamless experience. So the new Strike app also functions as a lightning wallet where you can buy and sell Bitcoin via dollar equivalent rails. At his speech at Bitcoin 2023, Jack Mallers explained the wider vision of the update saying, quote, we're delivering a cash balance that the global South can rely on and an awesome, beautiful, punk, unconventional black and white brand as the Fed is driving our own banks insolvent, end quote. He also highlighted that the company's response to feedback displaying a set of tweets asking for UN or LNURL support shortly after announcing that the new app has LNURL support. All usernames at strike.me 
function as an LN URL as of the launch. Thank God, finally. Quote, we made a lot of product changes to support what we hope to become an amazing global money app. As a company, we know that what we're fighting for, we know who we are, we changed the way we looked, but we never changed the way we felt. End quote. In addition to the new features and access, the app includes a simplified sign-up process in order to making signing up easier. Quote, the end goal for us is to serve seven to eight billion people and we'll be stepping our way to make it to the countries that didn't make it in this MVP, Rios explained. Rios explained the impact of the launch and additional features saying that for the Bitcoiners, you can expect uh, a beautiful lightning wallet and a cost-effective way to buy Bitcoin. And for the people not yet so familiar with Bitcoin, but are familiar with 109% inflation, giving them access to a US dollar equivalent stablecoin is massive. Now you can save in something that won't be so quickly devalued. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not a fan of USDT, but remember, people forget this. When Strike first, you know, kind of came about, one of their rails included Tron, the shitcoin chain. Yeah, I know. It's like sad. And I guess we all forgave Jack Mallers because he's, he's, the dude's burning the candle at both ends. But now here we are again with, with Tether. We're just going to have to wait and see how this goes. Tether is used and used and used. It's never been not used. As long as that thing's been alive, people have been using the shit out of it. So apparently there's enough people that find enough utility that that thing is not going away. And being mad at Tether is very much kind of like being mad at ordinals or being mad at Jack for using Tether is like being mad at Casey Rodarmer who created the ordinals protocol. I don't have the energy to be mad anymore. It, it, it messes me up and it causes me to say, you know, bad things about good people. And I, I'm just not going to do that. So more power to them. 65 more countries are now able to have access to something with high utility that they've never had access to before. And I hope one of those countries includes Nigeria. I, I really do. Now, we have more politicking going on at the Bitcoin 2023 conference in Miami. Presidential candidate Kennedy vows to defend Bitcoin against invasive surveillance. Jason Nelson, Decrypt.co. Speaking to a packed audience on the final day of the 2023 Bitcoin conference in Miami, Florida, Democratic presidential hopeful Robert F. Kennedy Jr. decisively built Bitcoin into his campaign platform, saying the cryptocurrency must be defended against what he called invasive surveillance. Quote, we live in a time now that technology has dangerously expanded the capacity of governments and corporations to control our lives. Distant, impersonal multinationals and authoritarian technologies have usurped realms of human activity that were once private or held by the community, Kennedy said. He added that these technologies monitor movements, communications, and transactions pointing to the trucker protest in Ottawa, Canada in 2022 as an example. He said Bitcoin won him over when he witnessed the Canadian administration using surveillance and data tracking systems to block truckers who were protesting COVID mandates from accessing their bank accounts in a bid to end the demonstration. Quote, when I witnessed this cataclysm, this devastating use of government repression, I realized for the first time 
how free money is as important as freedom of free expression, Kennedy said. During his keynote express address, <laughs> Kennedy took aim at President Joe Biden's proposed 30% tax on energy use for Bitcoin miners, saying it would require an invasive surveillance apparatus to minor to monitor minor energy usage. Initially introduced in the White House's 2024 budget, the Biden administration called for a 30% crypto mining tax, saying that crypto mining consumed almost as much energy, 50,000 gigawatts of electricity, as televisions and home computers in 2022. The energy consumed by mining cryptocurrency has long been a cudgel used against proof-of-work blockchains. Proof-of-work blockchains like Bitcoin consume significant amounts of energy due to the computational power required to solve complex mathematical problems involved in mining. No, they're not complex mathematical problems. It's guessing. If rolling a shit ton of dice is a mathematical problem and complex, then sure, (laughs) then Bitcoin's performing complex mathematical problems, but that's not what's actually occurring. Think of a dump truck filled with dice and every miner filling that dump truck up with that dice and then dumping it out, recording all of the events and then filling the truck again and dumping it out and doing that over and over and over again until a block is found either by the person doing the dumping or by somebody else doing their own dumping. But it's not complex. It's not really even math. It's just rolling dice. Quote, it sets a terrible precedent in which everything that you do that requires electricity must now be monitored by the government, Kennedy said, adding that he would support people's right to refuse smart meters in their homes. Okay. Kennedy has already stepped into the digital currency arena after opposing a U.S. central bank digital currency and saying that the U.S. government was waging a war on crypto. Quote, as president, I will make sure that your right to hold and use Bitcoin is inviolable and I will defend the right to self-custody, Kennedy told the audience. Not only would Kennedy protect the right to hold Bitcoin, he assured the crowd he also pledged to uphold the right to run a private node, saying that know your customer requirements should be applied at the level of banks and exchanges, not at the level of nodes. Quote, I don't think the government has the right to demand access to your Bitcoin key or indeed any of your passwords. To say otherwise is to cede essential territory to the surveillance state. The whole point of Bitcoin is that it's decentralized. Anyone can run a node and it's important not only for Bitcoin, but for democracy to be decentralized, Kennedy said. Okay, so at that conference, Kennedy announced, from what I understand, he he announced his presidential campaign formally right so he's formally in the race as of the last day of the bitcoin 2023 conference he also said a couple of other things one of the things that he said is that he's taking donations in bitcoin via lightning network i guess i'm thinking both the main chain donation lightning network donation and it's been told to me that that's really important but he's a politician i've been down i've i've been to this horse race before And the leader that crosses the finish line, generally speaking, is not the horse you were, you thought it was. It's a, it's a horse of an entirely different color when you get down to it. Who am I talking about? The mayor of New York, the mayor of Miami, and a couple of, a few other people, by the way, but 
those are the the biggest examples because they were you know especially eric it was eric adams in new york he was running for mayor and he knew that all he really had to do was cozy up and sidle up next to bitcoin and make nice and he he you know, get that vote. And he did get that vote and he did win and he's a complete idiot. And ever since he's been mayor of New York, he said almost nothing about Bitcoin and neither has the mayor of Miami. I don't trust Kennedy. Would I vote for him if I go vote? Probably I would, but I'm a red, I'm registered as a Republican, so I can't vote in the primary. So I would, I guess I could flip flip parties just to vote for the guy. But do I really want to do all that work for a guy that maybe gets 20%? Because I don't know. I mean, I don't even know if he survives. Some of the stuff that he says, I don't know if he survives to the election. Because he says some stuff that makes Pfizer mad. He he basically is pissed off every lobbying group with over a billion dollars in their bank account to be able to go lobby with. Kind of pretty much not the kind of people that you want to be pissing off and remain alive because there's when that kind of money is at stake, like Pfizer money, GlaxoSmithKline money, uh, in, in, uh, the, what am I trying to say? Military industrial complex kind of money. That's the kind of shit that'll get you killed. You know, it got his uncle killed or however he's related to JFK, but whatever. I, I, I don't know the actual familial relations there because it's been so long since uh, John F. Kennedy was blown away. But in either event, you know, he's running and he's saying he's a Bitcoiner and I've, I've seen it before. I've seen it before. I'm not, you know, he'd, he'd have to win the, he'd have to win the Democrat primary. He'd have to win the presidential election. And then he'd have to actually be found to have been telling the truth. And then he'd have to continue on telling that truth throughout the entirety of his presidency before I would actually trust the guy. Because every politician that I've ever seen is just a lying shitbag. That's just the way it is. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Monday is a good day for a joke. Dad says, jokes, what's the medical diagnosis for owning too many dogs? Roverdose. Yeah, I'll let you think about that one. Um, I don't trust Kennedy. I'm starting not, to, I think it would be a good idea for me to not trust Jack Mallers. That doesn't mean that I don't like him. I do. I, I've been following what Jack Mallers has been doing for years. Been super impressed with his level of energy, his level of competency, his ability to get shit done. I like the guy, and I'm I'm not going to say anything ever bad about him. Do I trust him? How is it that we've come to a place where just because you like somebody, it's assumed that you trust them? Jack Mallers, I've never met him. I don't know anything about him. I've never sat for his dogs when he's on vacation. He's never come over for dinner, right? There's no reason for me to trust him. And honestly, I think that that's where I'm at. I, I don't trust Jack. I, I certainly don't trust Kennedy. Jack's at least, you know, at least he's not a politician. You know, I mean, a died in the wool, government, you know, running for government office, you know, politician. 
everybody's political to some degree, but Kennedy died in the wool, comes from a political family, all the way back to, you know, I'm sure his Joe Kennedy, like back in the day, uh, John FK and Robert Kennedy's father, Joe, the gangster. I'm pretty sure that he had his hooks into the political game. You, nobody runs rum during the depression or during not depression, uh, during prohibition for as long as Joe Kennedy ran rum from Canada to the United States and not ever see a day in jail. Right. So yeah, I'm pretty sure that Joe Kennedy was a politician and that's pretty much what started his boys down that same path. Cause almost all of them, almost all of his sons are, were in uh in U S politics. I don't trust Kennedy. I, I and I'm not going to, he's going to have to prove and that means he's going to have to win. And I don't know if he's going to be able to win. This thing is so rigged. It's not even funny. So that's one of the reasons why I, I, I didn't vote last presidential election. I don't know. You can hate me for all you want, but I'm just, I'm kind of done. It, nothing ever changes. Even if my dude won, like a Gary Johnson or whatever it was, whoever it was that I voted for, it was like libertarian or something like that. Whatever the party was, you know, they got the floor white, you know, they got their ass wiped like they always do. And, you know, we changed from, you know, Republican over to Democrat and it's still a shit show. And if we change from the Biden back over to a Republican, like let's say Trump wins, it's not going to fix anything. I just, I we're trusting these people way too much. And it's just too much of a convoluted family that they're in that allows the black sheep to actually do anything. Just because you're a president doesn't mean that you can actually do something. You know, it used to be that way, but, I, but honestly, it shouldn't have ever been that way in the first place. The executive was only there to sign bills into law. They weren't really supposed to take a stand on, you know, like this whole thing with executive orders. That's not really the description of the president as far as what the executive branch actually does as listed in the Constitution of the United States. Yet at one point or another, I just keep, you know, keep waiting for for them to like, send a bill to the president's desk, the president vetoes it. It comes back with, you know, two thirds of a majority and the president has no choice, but the president all of a sudden has enough power to say, you know what, I'm going to make an executive order and this, you know, I'm going to like re-veto this thing as an executive order. And I don't know, man, we would think that that wouldn't be possible, but I'll, I'll bet you somehow or another, they'll figure out a way to do it, which is why I just don't care. That's why Bitcoin is important detaching yourself from these systems all the way up to, you know, to this kind of crap, defending your own pro you know, property and helping your neighbors defend their property. That's what will, you know, what keeps people from not wanting to invade the United States, but take the guns away and there's no way to defend the United States. That's why the Japanese never attacked the mainland. Nobody wanted to come over here. There was like, I can't remember the name of the emperor, Hirohito. I can't, I don't know if that's right. There was a, there's a gun behind every blade of get grass over there. The only thing that they could do was wipe out Pearl Harbor and then go back to the island of Japan and then, I don't know, go raid the Philippines. That was the only thing. They, they were never going to come any closer than the Hawaiian Islands to the United States territory because we, the people themselves would take care of that shit. But times are changing. We need Bitcoin worse than ever. 
And whatever's going to happen with Bitcoin, I don't know. It's just this, you get to the point in a bear market where it just becomes boring and weird and nothing happens. And then all of a sudden you get close to the halving and everything breaks loose and everybody gets happy again. And then rinse and repeat. You've got all these happy people and they, they carry that happiness over as the price declines on the backside to a new uh, floor price. And then we're, but we're still happy and hey, this is when we build and that's what you hear and blah, blah, blah. And then towards the end of that, tempers get frayed. It's just human nature. So I would expect to see more people losing their shit like, like I did on Saturday. And again, my apologies sincerest apologies to Walker and Carla. You didn't deserve that. That was my bad. I'm a less person for that. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.